0: Welcome to Open Your Eyes, a podcast about empowering each of us with the perspective and tools to grow and change. You know, each day we live, we have a series of choices of where we spend our time and what to think and how to go about our day. And some people choose to fill their day with positive energy and worthwhile things. And that's why I like uplifting podcasts. This podcast is born from a deep desire To help us all live a happier life. And the firm belief that a powerful way to make that happen is to open our eyes to new ways of seeing life. So hopefully today in this time together, you will get a new perspective of how to think and live better. And as always, take a few minutes today to share this podcast with a friend. It just might be what they need in their life today. Let's get started. Today, I'd like to talk about how to make a new deal, a better deal, In your life. You know, for almost a decade, the United States economy had grown at unprecedented rates by an incredible 42%. That means jobs grew rapidly. New businesses were starting all over the country. Banks were lending and lending, and households were consuming more and more. Consumers who had never had cars before all wanted to ditch their animal powered wagons and purchase a car. In 1920 alone, Ford sold 1.25 million cars, and by 1929, there were 23 million automobiles on the road. One reason for the growth was affordability. Compared to when the Model T was launched in 1909, the price of Ford's cars had fallen 63%, within reach of the average American household. Also, Ford workers had their pay doubled during the same time period. Electricity? was now available in many homes across the country. And with it, radios, phonographs, vacuum cleaners, washing machines, and refrigerators were introduced. Can you imagine how drastically life changed during this decade? Can you imagine how transformative the radio was, for example? When you got a radio in your home for the first time, imagine how it would change your life. All of a sudden, you're getting news from all over the world. You're learning about life and things and stories of other people, and that would just flood your life. Not only small appliances and automobiles, but airplanes started to be a common way to travel. The small airline industry started. And with all the inventions, there came infrastructure growth. Roads were needed, railroads, bridges, buildings, dams, and many other construction projects were started. New products and services created new markets like the markets for electric irons or fans or electric lighting and other labor-saving appliances. The electricity was distributed by electric utility companies that were popping up everywhere. The stocks of those companies helped create the stock market boom of the late 20s. As a result, the stock market increased 600% in value. Can you imagine that? The stock market went up 600% in less than nine years. What a time to live. The sheer wonder of the advancements in technology and innovations that made life easier would have been amazing. You know, there are times when it seems like any business can prosper. Maybe you started a business of late, and perhaps there have been times when you find partners rather easily, and it seems that those times and that success will never end. Well, this is how the people of the U.S. felt in 1928, but soon things would change. In 1929, inflation had taken root. The prosperity of the prior years was catching up. As people's income rose, they wanted higher wages, and as new products needed to be produced, the job market tightened, so employers had to raise wages to keep employees. So they raised prices, and with prices and wages increasing, inflation started to increase as well. So President Hoover at the time raised interest rates to slow the economy. When this happened, it crippled banks, and banks began to fail. They lacked the banking regulations we have today. And when the economy slowed, the stock market fell in a matter of weeks by over 50%. When the stock market fell and the banks stopped lending, businesses reliant on credit, slowed their production, or stopped altogether. Soon, 1.5 million people became unemployed. Months later, the worst drought in 300 years would hit the Midwest. Farmers were crippled, food prices soared. Then, huge banking systems that supported the farms started to fail. In less than a year, over 1,300 banks failed, and people were unable to get their money from their savings or investments. In 1930, the economy shrunk by 27%, and the production in the country fell by 50%. Hunger marches and small riots were common throughout the nation. In Minneapolis, food riots erupted as people struggled for food. A few hundred people smashed the windows of a grocery market, taking bacon, ham, and canned goods with them, and they ran away. A store owner pulled out a gun to stop the robbers, to no avail. In total, 100 policemen managed to bring the riots under control. But people were hungry. The fourth largest bank in the United States, the Bank of the United States, failed. When it collapsed, it had more than $200 in deposits which made it the largest bank failure in history. At the time, citizens were incredibly confused. How could the economy that just a year or two earlier was the fastest growing in the world in a matter of months turn and put one out of four workers on the street? In a country with abundant resources, the largest labor force, the most productive industry in the world, many found it hard to understand why the depression had occurred at all and could it be resolved? Moreover, it was difficult for many to understand why people should go hungry in a country possessing huge food supplies. How could banks, including the Bank of the United States, fail and not repay deposits to everyday people? Well, by this point in time, the confidence had drained out of people. Everyone was blaming each other and the government, and there was no faith in the banks, the country's leaders, and worst of all, there was not a clear path back to growth. Now, I don't know about you, but in business and in life, I've faced similar situations. We all likely have. When things have not gone our way, our business growth that used to come easy now is more difficult. Business partners seem less interested. In your life, habits and practices you used to do well are now more of a struggle. Perhaps you have a record drought going on in your mentality or energy or sense of purpose. You know, it's easy to have happen. I have it happen now and then. And like you, I get discouraged and depressed from time to time. And maybe you've lost some confidence in yourself or the people or the things that you used to have confidence in. And like the people in the US in 1930, you experience a little depression or at least are a little depressed and wondering how you got to where you are and what is the path back to growth? Well, if so... Then let's look at what happened in history and see what we can learn from the new president, President Roosevelt, and others about how to change the course of a business or family or country. And it all happened by making a new deal. When Roosevelt assumed office in the middle of this Great Depression, in his first 100 days, he came with a plan of action. On his first day in office, he closed all the banks for a bank holiday. Then on day five, he introduced the country to what he called a new deal. He knew the American people had lost confidence in everything. And his primary goal, what he needed to do was restore confidence through whatever means necessary. Now, this is a great lesson for you and me. If we're in the middle of our own Great Depression, then confidence is the primary thing that needs to be restored. Perhaps we need to make our own new deal a new agreement with ourselves, a covenant that we're no longer accepting what has been, that we're charting a new course, and we're taking a new path. And if that's what you need in your life right now, even in small ways, then let's learn together how to make that new deal. Roosevelt's new deal was a series of programs, public work projects, financial reforms, and regulations. The programs focused on what historians refer to as the three R's relief for the unemployed, recovery of the economy back to normal levels, and reform of the financial system to prevent a repeat depression. Well, on day five in office, he created the Emergency Banking Act to prevent more bank failures. Among its major measures, it created the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, the FDIC, which began insuring bank accounts at no cost for up to $2,500. Depositors needed to have confidence that their money was safe. Additionally, the president was given executive power to operate independently of the Federal Reserve during times of financial crisis. This is another good lesson. In the middle of your and my Great Depression, perhaps we need to operate differently than we have before, get more streamlined. If you're building a business and things need to be reformed, then the first part of your new deal is to do whatever it takes to get your confidence back change up your schedule, go back to the basics, do what you did when you got started, whatever it takes, but operate independent of your normal routine. Next, Roosevelt started a series of broadcasts from his home to keep the country updated on the smallest of progress. In these broadcasts, he talked to the nation about the new bank laws he was putting into place and communicated clearly and directly with the people. Another perfect lesson about restoring confidence. Next. Prohibition was repealed, and beer and wine tax was implemented to fund the Civil Works Act. Now, I'm not saying to recover from your Great Depression, you start consuming more beer and wine, although you may want to. I'm saying that you have to find a way to give yourself the resources to do what matters most. So if a beer tax gets the job done, and that helps you build new roads, then it's a trade-off worth pursuing. And the same goes for us. Maybe for you to build your business again or to overcome that habit or to recover yourself, there are trade-offs. And the faster you make those trade-offs and get moving with what's most important, the better. For example, if you're building a business and working with the same old partners who are really not contributing, the trade-off would be to shift your time to new eager partners, understanding there are trade-offs. The new deal also had an overarching objective put Americans back to work. And Roosevelt put in a series of acts that saved farms needed for food, built power stations, and other construction projects. The nation needed electrical infrastructure, and in taking on that project, Roosevelt created hundreds of thousands of jobs. The Civil Works Administration did many such projects. In total, 8.5 million people were hired, and with heat waves continuing to hamper farming and the economic recovery, Progress was slow, and unemployment got higher before it got better. And you know, this is the way it is with new deals. There's almost always a delayed response when you're trying to make a difference or change or reform yourself or your business. Don't give up because you don't get immediate results. I've learned through sad experience that any change takes a period of sustained and earnest effort before you see results. There's a delayed response to almost everything. So don't give up. It took the U.S. four years, but the economy did, in fact, recover from the Great Depression. And in your business, I don't think it'll take four years to turn things around, but it might take four months or more. So stay in the game. Every good effort usually has a delayed response. Soon in the 1930s, people started to gain confidence in banks and banks started to have confidence in people and the government did what it could, and people started to invest and take risks again. So in your New Deal, perhaps you'll have to do the same. Take some risks. During this time in 1931, at the same time Roosevelt was trying to lift the country from depression, James Truslow Adams wrote a book about the struggles of the American people and their potential to rise above the current circumstances. And in his writing, he coined the term, The American dream. His timing is ironic, right? In the middle of a depression, how do you start dreaming again? Well, it is that very thing, dreaming, that lifts you out of that depression. Remember who you are, what you can be, and instill the hope of what is to come in your mind. You know, Mark Cuban said, do what Burger King and GE and Microsoft and Hyatt Hotels all have in common. They were started during a recession. And you may think that starting a business during a recession is a bad idea. Many companies have thrived during difficult economic times. It actually makes a lot of sense if you think about it. During a recession, you may have better access to cheaper space and more talented employees. And because everyone is trying to save money, you may have a greater shot. And I would add that during slow economic times, people tend to act more decisively because, let's face it, fear does drive action. The point is, That when we're down a little, it's often when the best decisions are made that have a lasting effect. So, to that end, let me ask you Are there a few things in your life or mind or business that are a little bit depressed lately? Are you in a bit of a recession in your efforts to improve and grow? If so, then let's take a lesson from what we've just talked about and restart now. Let's put in place a new deal for you and me and with ourselves. That can help us rise. And to do that, let's review the steps of Roosevelt's New Deal. Step one, write out the New Deal. Articulate it clearly. Let's say I want more peace in my daily life. I'm tired of the anxiety and stress that seems to prevail in my thinking, so I make a New Deal with myself and articulate it. The New Deal includes putting my phone down for periods of time so I can read and write and paint and walk and do whatever things bring calmness into my life. You'd be surprised that the power that comes into your life when you simply articulate your plan of action. And you know, in leading people, you need a clear plan. But in leading ourselves, we sometimes forget that we need the same thing. Now, unless you're living under a rock, you know Taylor Swift. This year, her 15-stop tour across the United States generated over $1 billion in ticket sales, the largest ever. Well, Taylor Swift was named after her mother's favorite singer, James Taylor. Parents Scott and Andrea raised Taylor and her younger brother Austin in West Reading, Pennsylvania, on a Christmas tree farm. When Taylor was young, if she wasn't picking up praying mantis pods out of trees for pocket money, she was on horseback riding and dreaming up fairy tales. The Swifts assumed their daughter would follow them into the business world, but instead, she fell under the spell of her grandmother, Marjorie, an opera singer. Marjorie was always singing, Taylor said, either around the house or every Sunday at church. Well, Taylor followed her lead, and on trips to the beach as a toddler, she would serenade beachgoers who were absorbed with her renditions of Disney songs. But Taylor's American dream started with the articulation of a plan. When she was 10 years old, she was watching a TV documentary on Faith Hill, and she was inspired to act, to pursue singing as her life's dream. She talked with her parents, worked out her plan in her mind, gained support, and started to act. She made a new deal. She went to Nashville. At age 10, Swift acted as her own agent, booking karaoke contests and festival gigs. The next year, she took a demo of Dolly Parton and Dixie Chicks covers to Nashville. And while her classmates spent their spring break lounging, Taylor left her mother and brother waiting in the car as she marched up and down Music Road, delivering homemade demo CDs to the front desk of every label. Hi, I'm Taylor, she'd tell them. I'm 11. I want a record deal. Call me. Unfortunately, no one did. They really didn't take me seriously, she said. I sang like a chipmunk. Well, unlike the pop market, which embraced extreme youth and the Disney Channel to radio pipeline, country labels held to the belief that they catered strictly to an adult audience and were uninterested in the musical musings of a tween. Taylor returned to Pennsylvania disappointed, but determined to make an impression. The answer was songwriting. She took guitar lessons from a local computer repairman and spent hours practicing until her fingers bled. Taylor's first song was Lucky You. The opening lines read like a perfect introduction to her story. There's a little girl in this little town with a little too much heart to go around. While weekends were spent singing at country fairs, coffee shops, or karaoke contests, her single-mindedness of her New Deal left her out of step with her classmates who didn't know what to make of her. At age 12, she wrote The Outside, which would become a track on her chart-busting debut album. At 13, her family, seeing her plan in action, moved to Nashville. Soon, she had an arsenal of songs. And just two years from their first unsuccessful trip to Nashville, Taylor worked her way into the country music community. She formed a lasting working relationship with songwriter Liz Rose. They began meeting for two-hour writing sessions every Tuesday afternoon. Rose called the sessions some of the easiest I've ever done. Basically, I was just her editor. She'd write about what happened in school that day, and she had a clear vision of what she was trying to say. And she'd come up with the most incredible hooks, and in 2005, Taylor nabbed her long sought record deal with a record label and began to work on what would become her first album. Well, Swift songs with titles like Our Song and Stay Beautiful rhapsodize the highs of young love while Should Have Said No, Picture to Burn, and Cold as You highlight the lows. Since, Swift has sold over 200 million records and is one of the best selling musicians of all time. Now, Here's what strikes me about Swift's success. It began with a new deal, an articulated plan for who she was and how she was going to get there. We could learn a lot from Taylor Swift as a 10-year-old and make our own new deal in our life. Step two, what we learn from the new deal is to communicate, publish it. In his first 100 days in office, Roosevelt did a radio broadcast night after night to restore the faith of the people In themselves and the country. He knew it would take sharing the vision over and over again to win the faith of the nation. Well, the same goes for you and me. As we leave our slow business or bad personal habits behind and reach for a new path, we have to talk to ourselves and our team about the new deal over and over again. We need to speak faith and hope. You know, Joyce Meyer said, The words that come out of our mouth or go through our mind eventually drop down into our soul, where they give us either joy or sadness, peace or upset, depending on the types of words we've spoken. When we understand the power of words and realize that we can choose what we think and speak, our lives can be transformed. And I believe we have a soul, a spirit, and that spirit can be light and free so it can function properly not heavy and oppressed. We can learn to choose our thoughts, to resist wrong ones, and think on good, healthy, and right ones. Because where the mind goes, the man follows. Now, when you get up in the morning, if there's something that you need to attend to that day that you're not looking forward to, you can say, I dread this day, or you can say, God will give me strength today to do whatever I need to do and do it with joy. Which of these two statements do you think would better prepare you for the day? Our words are food for our souls. Anyone who wants to be healthy is careful to choose quality food to provide good nutrition. But if we want to be healthy in our soul and spirit, we should also choose to take in words that will build us up and increase our peace and joy. Next, in making a new deal in your life, follow Roosevelt who realized in the middle of his Great Depression that the country needed to operate differently than it had before. And one of the first things he did was to get more streamlined in action. What about you? You know, a streamliner is a vehicle that has a streamlining shape to provide reduced air resistance. And the terms applied to high-speed railway trains because they travel faster with less air resistance. Same goes for you and me. If we have a plan for growing our business, for example, then we need to streamline and eliminate any resistance that could hinder our progress towards that plan. Let's say there are naysayers on your team. Eliminate the resistance. This may be hard to do, may be hard to talk to them directly or to start a new team, but it's essential. Let's say you want to lose weight. Eliminate resistance. Shop at the store right after lunch so you aren't hungry and you have the strength to only buy healthy food. Let's say you have a new deal to have more peace in your life. Eliminate resistance. Leave your phone for a few hours a day. Spend time walking, writing, reading. You get the message. Eliminate resistance. Next, your new deal is called a deal because there is a give and take. To gain some things, you're going to have to give up some things. And just like Roosevelt repealed prohibition to get tax revenue to pay for other programs, so you may have to give up to get up. You know, in the scripture, it tells us to leave behind the things that keep us from our real goal, from what really matters. It says, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. This is extreme, of course, but the principle holds. It's better to lose an eye than to let it infect the whole body. The same goes for you in pursuit of your new deal. To start something good, you may need to get your mind back, your time back, your energy back. So, You may need to get rid of a few things that are taking your mind, time, and energy. And this includes, by the way, people that take those things from you. You know, years ago, my wife and I had a favorite piece of furniture, but we hated the color of the paint on the wood. So we decided it would be a great project to refinish this furniture piece. And we soon realized that the only way to create a new color was to strip off the existing paint. It wasn't easy. We had to apply a nasty solution to the stained surfaces, then scrape off the old paint. We had to sand the wood to remove all the paint and discolored surfaces. But what we found underneath was a beautiful wood grain. And surprised by the beauty of the wood, we then applied stain to highlight the grain of the wood. And we were amazed at the beauty of this piece of furniture once we stripped it of its unnecessary paint and let the wood underneath shine you, like this piece of furniture, have so much to give, so much to show the world. And it may be time to strip yourself of what's keeping you from doing so. You know, we often don't change because we're unwilling to give up what it takes to change. We want to change our business, but unwilling to give up our relaxing mornings. We want to have more peace in our life, but unwilling to set down our phones or eliminate social media. In Matthew, it says, for whosoever... Would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Now, it is often only in our desperation that we become willing to do what it takes to change or grow or reach a new deal. And this is why most of us do not change. We simply remain unwilling to do what it takes to give up what it takes. And if nothing changes, nothing changes. Some of us are waiting for God to transform us without any effort on our part. We often want God to just magically change us, so we pray. We ask God to take away our anxiety and appetite, lust, anger, pride, and the need for affirmation from others, but we do nothing. We just sit, hope, and sometimes pray. But in the scripture, it also said, whoever would save his life will lose it, which means something must be lost in the process. We can't remain in the same job, habits, TV watching, internet surfing, and leisure, and expect different results. In short, we need to forfeit those things if we want the transformed life. Next, remember, any change takes a period of sustained and earnest effort before you see results. There is a delayed response to almost everything, so don't you quit. Don't you stop trying. If you've restarted your business and doing the right activities, don't stop. At the beginning, sometimes things get worse before they get better, by the way. Your lack of prior activity still has a residual effect. So you need to lay enough roadwork on which to run your new race. The residuals of what you do today will be seen months from now, so don't quit. You know, I've never forgotten Whittier's poem, which says When things go wrong, as they sometimes will, When the road you're trudging seems all uphill, when the funds are low and the debts are high and you want to smile, but you have to sigh, when care is pressing you down a bit, rest if you must, but don't you quit. Life is strange with twists and turns, as every one of us sometimes learns, and many a failure comes about when he might have won had he stuck it out. Don't give up, though the pace seems slow, you may succeed with another blow, because success... Is failure turned inside out, the silver tint of the clouds of doubt. And you never can tell just how close you are. It may be near when it seems so far. So stick to the fight when your hardest hit. It's when things seem worst that you must not quit. For all the sad words of tongue and pen, the saddest are these. It might have been. Don't you quit. The residual effects of your good work today will be seen in the near future. In your business, the right activities done consistently will bring about the results in future months. In your personal life, the same. So don't let the lack of immediate progress keep you from staying in the game. I promise you can do what you set out to do. God knows who you are. He has plans for your success, and those plans are dependent, however, on you making a new deal a new covenant, a new agreement with yourself and him that you will set aside those things keeping you from reaching your goals. Streamline your life or business. Rise to become what you and he knows you can become. And I'm certain as you make a new deal that you will see a change and the depressions of your life will smooth out and you will walk a more level and direct path to where you want to go. Remember, economies recover, people recover, and your business can recover if you make a new deal with yourself to do your part in change. May God bless you this week and all you do to keep your confidence and live up to your new deal. Most of all, thanks for being here today. And don't forget to share this podcast with a friend and join us next week for another podcast as we learn to open our eyes to who and what we can become.